a good God, a mighty God, the Prince of Peace, the bright morning star. How majestic is your name in all the earth. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, right now, God, I humble myself before you, Lord God, shedding out any distractions, anything that would hinder what you want to say on today, God. Move me out of myself right now, God. Speak to us. Speak through me, Lord God, as a channel, as a vessel carrying your precious word. Holy Spirit, envelop us right now. Teach us, lead us, guide us into all truth. Uh, from the throne room of heaven into this tabernacle. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, praise the Lord. We are, of course, here to serve, praise, and worship God. But I do, but I have a, today is going to be a foundational word, uh, a foundational word, something that we need because of the natural instability causing spiritual instability because the foundation uh, was not properly, has not properly been set. Anytime you build a building, (laughs) you have to have a proper foundation so that when the storms of life or when the sun beams down or when the heat heat contracts it and and the cold weather expands it, the building will still stand. So with that said, it's necessary to study Jesus' post-resurrection appearances just as it is critical to study his pre-resurrection appearances. In other words, it's that period in between the time he resurrected and ascended. That's an important time that sometimes get uh, skipped because we're too busy trying to get to Pentecost to let the Holy Spirit be released. And then Jesus ascends into heaven. But there's a, there's a period of time that Jesus spends some time teaching those that are his. Now, this teaching is not designed to make you feel good about yourself. (laughs) It is designed to give you a spiritual stability in an unstable world. Amen? And so ever since the resurrection, ever since Resurrection Sunday, there has been a burning question, and I alluded to it earlier, a burning question. What did Jesus do and teach after his resurrection? but before his ascension. Amen? It's a burning question. So let's start in the book of Acts. We're going to start there at chapter 1. And now the book of Acts is the second volume of Luke's two-volume work as the gospel of Luke is his first. The book of Acts, or as it's been called by some, the book of action is unique because it links the gospels with the epistles by recording the birth and the early history of the church, which is the expression of God's kingdom for this age. The church is the expression of God's kingdom for this age. Acts is a kingdom book. 
And as we will read, Jesus spoke about the kingdom of God at the beginning. And at the end of Acts, Paul proclaims the kingdom of God. Now, that's crucial because the kingdom, the kingdom is supposed to operate under the kingdom agenda, which Dr. Tony Evans says is the visible manifestation of the comprehensive rule of God over every area of life. And this rule is supposed to be reflected in and through the church. Amen. So as we get ready to go into to, 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 to where we're going or this foundation today, we need to understand that those, those days that Jesus, uh, after his resurrection and before the ascension, he had to teach him, teach them, though it took 40 days to teach them. And when he did that, they were drastically changed, right? What he had to do, he had to do a divine reset. You know why? Because after the crucifixion, many left him, Peter denied him, and it was, a, uh, and it was, it was as if he was concerned about them going back to what they were doing before he, was cruci before he came to this earth. And there's a prophetic warning to that for us today, that we don't go back to what we were doing before the pandemic because it may not be what God wants us to be doing, so there needs to be a divine reset just like Jesus gave his disciples. Amen. Now, let's go to Acts chapter 1. Y'all there? And it says this. We're going to just read three verses. It says, The former treaties have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to do what? Teach. Until the day in which he was taken up, until the day in which he was taken up, he, what Jesus began to both do and teach until the day in which he was taken up, after that, he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had did what? Chosen. Verse 3 says, to whom he also showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible or unmistaking or convincing proofs, being seen of them how many days? Forty days. Not one. But how many? Forty days. And speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Now, the disciples did not have a corporate delusion. Nor did they see a ghost. Jesus proved to them that he was the same flesh and blood man who had been crucified and buried, though he had since gained a glorified body. He gave them empirical evidence. That means to be provable evidence. And that evidence was Jesus himself. All right, let's look at some of the evidence. Let's go to, don't lose your place here because we'll be coming back. But go, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Y'all don't mind if I lose, use a little Bible, do you? Corinthians chapter 15, and we're going to start at verse number 8. 1 Corinthians. Chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. What did Jesus do and teach after his resurrection, but before his ascension? That's important. All right. Y'all there? 
It says this, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. Verse 3 says, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how, Jesus, how that Christ died for our sins according to what? Scriptures. And that he was what? Buried. And that he did what? Rose again the third day according to the what? And that he was seen of or by Cephas or Peter, then the twelve disciples. After that, he was seen above 500 brethren or followers at once of whom the greater part remain until this present or at the time of this writing, but some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, then of what? All the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me also as of one born out of due time. Now, Jesus, the risen Lord, was not seen by merely one or two people. This was no conspiracy concocted by his disciples or a small band of people because we read that hundreds of people saw him alive after his resurrection. Amen. And the evidence which he presented are essential truths of the gospel. Why? Muhammad didn't get up. Buddha didn't get up. Confucius didn't get up. Anybody else didn't get up. But Jesus... He got up and he proved it by showing himself to hundreds of people over 40 days. So it wasn't an aberration. You know what I'm saying? Where you wake up and you thought you seen. No, he stayed there 40 days. Amen. Amen. And his evidence was essential to the gospel. And let's go back to Acts chapter 1, verse 3, because he was not only seen, but he also spoke. He says this, to whom he also showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them four days and speaking of the thing pertaining to the what? Kingdom the kingdom of God. He was not only seen, but he taught about the kingdom. He taught them the kingdom. He had to teach them the kingdom so that they would be prepared for the release of the Holy Spirit. Because if they were not prepared for the release of the Holy Spirit, those who received it would have gotten off on the wrong track. But Jesus had to keep them in the pocket so that they would know what the Holy Spirit was really to be used for and what he was about. Amen? He didn't want them to squander the power of the Holy Spirit. Why is that important? Far too often, people who have not been taught with foundational truths have squandered the power of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because they want the gifts of God, but not the God of the gifts. Hmm? Huh? And they squander the power of the Holy Spirit by doing what I call cheap parlor tricks, not spiritual gift, using the spiritual gifts in the manner in which God intended. So Jesus had to get his people together 
and say, okay, I got to teach y'all something. Everything that he taught them is not recorded for us. However, you know if Jesus has a sit down with you, what he's saying must be important, right? Especially after the crucifixion, after they see him be hung, bled, and die, and then rise again, you know their ears was perked up. Amen. Jesus taught the kingdom before his crucifixion, as we read reading the Gospels, and he taught about the kingdom after his resurrection. So that must mean the kingdom of God is important on earth. Amen. Uh, amen. And what did he teach? And it's been termed later on in chapter 2, verse 42, as the apostles' doctrine. So let's look at what an apostle is. An apostle, or the Greek word for apostle, is apostolos. Apostolos. An apostle is a special, special messenger. He is a delegate. He or she is a delegate. One commissioned for a particular task or role. One who is sent with a message. In the New Testament, the word denotes the original 12 disciples and prominent leaders outside of the 12. But what really blows my mind, and we're not going there, but if you write this down, look at it later. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 2 through 4, Judas was named as an apostle. Judas was named as an apostle. Yeah, that one that betrayed him. Yeah, that one that, 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 that had him uh, initiated the circumstances in which to get Jesus crucified. Amen. But then I look back at one of the definitions for an apostle. It's one who is commissioned for a particular task or role. Judas had a role to play because if he had not done what he did, Jesus would not have been crucified. And if Jesus would not have been crucified, we would not have an opportunity to be forgiven of our sin. Amen. It's foundational. It's not jumpy shouty. Take notes if you want to. It's foundational. An apostle one of the definitions is they commissioned for a particular role. He did not force them. He did not draft them or ask them to volunteer. He chose them to serve him, each one of them, in a special way. And he chose each one of us to serve him in a particular way, with a particular role, with a, particular, with a specific purpose for your life. Amen? Amen. Now, what is doctrine? We said we defined apostles, so what is doctrine? The Greek word for doctrine is didaskaleia. Didaskaleia. And it's spelled D-I-D-A-S-K-A-L-I-A. And it's pronounced didaskaleia. It means instruction. It means learning and teaching, especially as it applies to lifestyle application. When people hear the word doctrine, they get, some people get all bound up as if doctrine was a bad word. Doctrine simply means teaching. That's what it means. It means teaching. And sound biblical doctrine will help you understand the will of God. 
Sound biblical doctor will help you understand the nature and the character of God. Sound biblical doctrine will help you understand the path of salvation through faith. It provides instruction for the church and God's standard for holiness. Now, John MacArthur says this about the, what the church's task, basic task is. He says, the basic task of the church is to teach sound doctrine. It is not to give one pastor's opinion. It's not to recite tear-jerking illustrations that play on emotions. It's not for raising funds. It's not to present programs or entertainment or to give weekly devotionals. The church, the basic task of the church is to teach. What? Sound biblical doctrine. All right? Now, the reason we need doctrine is found in 2 Timothy, you can go there later, chapter 4, verse 2 and 3, which says in the New King James, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. Why? For the time will come, and I believe that time is now, when they will not endure sound doctrine, right? But according to their own desires... But according to their own desires, what? Because they have itching ears, they will heap for themselves teachers that will tickle their ears. Huh? The apostles' doctrine is biblically sound teaching. And we need biblically sound teaching as we face the perils of these perilous times. If you didn't learn anything else from this last, from 2020, it's this. You need to have your relationship with God tight. Because you can't depend on coming to church. Because the church may be closed. It depends on your relationship not your relationship with God. If nothing else, you should have a desire to know biblically sound doctrine that it will keep you spiritually stable when the winds blow. Amen. Now, biblically sound teaching is preaching that teaches and encourages, but it also rebukes and corrects. We like the encourages, the encouraging part, but we don't like to be rebuked and corrected. <laughs> we like it when we're going to be blessed in the city. But we don't like it when God said, hold up, you got to look to me first. Seek me first in the kingdom of God. Amen. We, we like it when everything is going well. But once we hit a storm, then we get weaveling and a wobbling, right? But biblically sound teaching, even though it may not feel good when you're going through it, it will help keep you firmly planted when you are. Amen. In this world that claims everything is relative, believers need to hear the absolute truth of the word of God. And it needs to be preached and it needs to be taught in the church of the living God. 
which is the pillar and foundation of the truth. The world does not need to get their biblically sound teaching from the television. That's good for a supplement, but biblically sound teaching should come through the church. Amen. So let me tell you what uh, the biblically sound teaching will give you. Y'all ready? Y'all ready to dig a little bit? It will give you parameters or guidelines. Biblically sound teaching will give you parameters or guidelines. Let's go to 1 Timothy and hang out there for a minute. 1 Timothy, and we're going to look at verse 1. And we're going to start with verse 8 because there's another misconception <laughs> that we have to deal with when it comes to being a believer. 1 Timothy, it's right before 2 Timothy. <laughs> if that helps you. 1 <laughs> Timothy, after 2 Thessalonians, I do believe. Amen. 1 Timothy chapter 1, and we're going to start at verse number 8, and it's going to mess you up. It says this, but we know that the law is what? But it got to be qualified if a man use it lawfully. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and what? Disobedient. The law was made for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers and manslayers, for whor whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men-stealers, which actually translated in another translation, slave traders, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to what? Sound doctrine. Verse 11 says, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed, blessed or blessed God, which was committed to my trust. Now, I know before y'all shut me down that we are not under the law. We are under grace. But Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 5, 17 Five and verse 17 says, do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. So he is saying all that to say this. You need the whole B-I-B-L-E from Genesis to Revelation. Don't dismiss it. Don't dismiss the Old Testament. Because that would be easy to do. You learn from the Old Testament because the Old Testament is Jesus concealed, but the New Testament is Jesus revealed. Amen. Here, Paul emphasizes that he is not disparaging the law, but those who misunderstand it and use it legalistically. We have a lot of legalistic so-called free people in the church. <laughs> you know why? Because they forget they weren't always saved. Amen. They forget that God delivered them from something. So once they get delivered, then they start looking down their sanctified nose. Right? With their halo so crooked on their horns. 
wanting to shut you out because of something that they heard about you. Amen. The law is good, but it must be understood legitimately. The law will show us how sinful we are. The law was meant for the lawless, not for the righteous. Thank God for that. The law cannot make anyone good, but it reveals how incapable we are of keeping it. There are over 600 and some odd laws that were supposed to be kept. Absolutely no way you could, could keep those 600, 600, I think, 32 laws as a believer. However, those 632 laws will show you how incapable you are to do it within yourself. Right? <laughs> and that's why you need Jesus. It's intended to point you to your need for a savior. Because you could not do it on your own. For those who think they're doing it on their own, how is that working out for you? <laughs> It may work out for a season, and it may look good, and you may think you're getting away, but that's in time. At some point, you've got to face eternity where there's a God sitting there. Amen. Mm. But after you receive Jesus as your Savior, it does not end there. That's entry-level Christianity. Yes, you will get into heaven. However, it won't keep you while you're living on earth. You've got to go deeper. You've got to learn more about the God you claim you want to serve. Learn about the Jesus who forgave you for your sin and gave you that way to the God that you claim you want to serve. Now then that Jesus has gone back and sent back the Holy Spirit, now you want to learn through the Holy Spirit about Jesus, God's Son, and about God the Father. So 2 Timothy chapter 2, 15 says, chapter 2 and verse 15 says, study to do what? Show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You can't rightly divide the word of truth if you don't know the word of truth. <laughs> you can't use the word if you don't know the word. You can't use this weapon properly if you don't know if you never used this weapon before our example was David when he had to go fight Goliath they tried to put a gift David that armor that was not didn't work for him he was like wait a minute this don't work for me let me go get what I'm used to when got him five smooth stones two full smooth stones and his sling he was familiar with the slingshot and those stones you have to get familiar you have, get, you have got to know, you have got to study this word so that when the enemy comes in like a flood, you will know how to wield your sword. <laughs> your sword is too heavy if you don't know how much it weighs. Amen. <laughs> mm. So this is how you do it. I'm going to take my time to show you or to tell you how to study scriptures, okay? Just in case you didn't know. I told you this is foundational. You need to study the scriptures with a view to meeting with God, not just learning about him. Study with a view to meeting with God, 
not just learn about him. Amen. Studying with a view to meeting with him and not just learning about him. Then you need to study the scriptures by routinely asking, what should I do with what I learned? (laughs) Study scriptures by routinely asking, what should I do with what I have just learned? What I have just met with you over, God. What do I do with those scriptures? How do I apply them? How do I walk this thing out by the word, with the word, using the word? Amen. Next thing is, you need to study the scriptures in their context. What does that mean? That means, who was the writer writing to? And what was he, what were they trying to say when they wrote it to them? And then you ask God to show you how you can apply what he was writing to them and, and showing them to apply to you. We don't put, that means don't take the scriptures out of their context, apply them to your situation without studying the whole counsel of the scripture. It's easy to cherry pick them to make them fit your situation, but you need to know why God delivered them out of that bondage after 70 years. Amen. And out of Babylonia for 70 years. You got to need to know why they went into it. Amen. You need to study the scriptures in their context. And remember this, as I always have said, and you hear me say it, and I'm going to say it again, the Bible was not written to us. It was written for us. You need to study the scriptures with prayer and dependency on the Holy Spirit to lead you to the truth. You need to study the scriptures with prayer or in prayer and depend upon the Holy Spirit to lead you into the truth as you're seeking, as you're studying, as you're looking at the context, as you're trying to to, to, to meet with God. Amen. And then lastly, you need to study the scripture with a kingdom mindset. And seeking, and that means seeking to identify God's rule over every area of your life. You need to study it with a kingdom mindset to identify God's rule over every area of your life. Look at the scripture like I was just talking about in context. And why did God have to send Israel through this? Amen. Why did he do that? To get their attention. Amen. So that they would turn back to him. Same question I'm asking you. Why do you think God sent us through and sending us through the pandemic? To get our hearts turned back to him. Why? Because evil is all around us. All you got to do is read the paper. All you got to do is hear a newscast. And it's right around this area too. Amen. Around the corner, a couple dudes got shot and was in the car. For what, 24 hours. Evil is all around us. I pray not today could be your day, but you have to be ready to meet the Lord. Amen. Hmm. And how can the scriptures rule over your life? So it will not only give you, number one, what was that? Uh, parameters or guidelines. 
Biblically sound teaching will give you position. Let's look at verse number five in the same passage. It says, now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart or love out of a pure heart and out of a good conscience and faith unfeigned, from which some having swerved have turned aside unto vain jangling. In other words, they got mixed up listening to that stuff that sounds so good that they got swerved to the left and came and don't know how far off course they are, they have to get back on the right course. So what biblically sound teaching is, it's designed to keep you in position. Uh, and it's not designed to be something you learn in your intellect or for your knowledge's sake. Biblically sound teaching is not just for intelligent believers to learn so they can prove just how deep they are. Biblically sound teaching is needed so that you will follow what is being taught. Now, yesterday, me and Roy were here, and I was, they never know. And we were talking, just talking. You know, I didn't tell him what I was going to talk about today, and he didn't know. Amen. But he said something to the effect that, and we talked about a lot of things, but he said something like this. He said, people will faithfully pay their rent at the, every month on cue because their lease had told them to do that faithfully. But they won't follow what the word of God says faithfully. We will faithfully pay our rent. We will faithfully do those things that the world will tell us. We pay Ameren. We'll pay the water bill. We'll pay our Verizon. We'll pay this. We'll pay that. We'll go here. We'll go there. We'll read about this and we'll read about that. But we won't simply follow what the word of God says. On another occasion, I heard him say the acronym for Bible is basic instructions before leaving earth. We have to follow these basic instructions before we leave this earth. The Bible gives you practical instructions for how to live your life, even in the midst of perilous times, and it will keep you spiritually stable during times of instability. Stop using the Bible as an escape button. Amen. <laughs> Looking for those scriptures. Oh, I gotta, I, I'm in trouble now. I got to dig in this word. But as soon as the trouble passes... The Bible goes right back on that coffee table or on the bookshelf, collecting dust, waiting for a chia pet to grow. Amen. The word, the Bible, is not just a list of interesting, trivial information. God would not have released his word for us to have his word with just trivial information. He released his word so that we could have his word, so that we can apply his word in the days in which we are living in. If you read the Bible just right, it told us we would be right where we are today. <laughs> Amen. It's not just the words of God, it's the voice of God in print. Amen. We got to remember that we are kingdom citizens. Whether you are in the workplace, whether you are in the political arena, whether you are going through Kroger's, whether you are driving down the street, you are a kingdom citizen. And you need to represent the kingdom. 
Why? Because spiritual ministry and social responsibility go hand in hand. And when they are, when they are properly integrated, integrate, integrated, you will become productive citizens while becoming prepared for life in eternity. Now, the other day I was blessed to share with a group of pastors, and the Holy Spirit pointed out that we as kingdom citizens need to be involved in every sphere of society, not just stand safe in our sanctuaries. Jesus needs to be seen in our homes, our workplaces, our politics, or wherever we are, he needs to be. We don't need to shut Jesus up because we are around sinners. In fact, Jesus hung out with them. Amen. And you think they didn't know who he was? <laughs> they recognize who he is. The problem is so-called believers don't recognize who Jesus is. But I'm going to leave that alone. Amen. The world needs love, and we are, as believers are the only ones qualified to show the world what real love is. And it only comes through Jesus Christ. And guess what? Everyone needs the opportunity to experience his love. Red, yellow, black, and white. All are precious in God's sight, as the song says. Everybody needs to express, needs to, to, to experience his love. And last thing about biblical sound teaching, it will protect you. It gives you protection. First Timothy chapter 4. Verses 13 through 16, it says this. Till I come, this is Paul, give attendance to reading, to exhort, exhortation, and to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Take heed unto thyself, in other words, watch yourself, and, and, and unto doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. The scriptures referred to here are, in fact, the Old Testament. You need to remember that the Bible, they didn't have a Bible, the scriptures that he's referring to are the Old Testament. You have to remember they didn't have a Bible like we got. They didn't have it all bound nice and pretty. They didn't have it from Genesis to Revelation with maps and concordances and all the pretty things. And if you get certain kind of Bibles with pretty writing in them and all that, they didn't have that. They had to rely on what the Old Testament or what the law or the scriptures said. And actually, what Paul was doing as we read, he was writing what we read. Amen. <laughs> as believers, you need to make sure to emphasize the entire Bible, both the Old and New Testament part, both Old and New, the parts we don't like and the parts we do like. It's the whole counsel of God. There are rich rewards in studying the people in the Old Testament, the events in the Old Testament, the prophecies of the Old Testament, and the principles of the Old Testament. The prophecies of the Old Testament were fulfilled in the New Testament. Amen. So the Bible confirms itself. Now, let me tell you this. 
You need to be on guard for feel-good preachers and teachers who always preach and teach messages that make people feel great about themselves and their walk with God. And because if you read the Bible, and when I say read the Bible, I mean read the Bible, being a believer is synonymous with suffering. We love to quote the first part of Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, which says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. We like that part of it. But we leave out the rest of the verse, which says, and the fellowship of his sufferings <laughs> being made conformable unto his death. You got to remember, before there was a resurrection, there was a cross. <laughs> before the victory of the resurrection, he had to go through to Calvary. Before the resurrection, he had to be beat. Before the resurrection, he had to be nailed to the cross. Before the resurrection, he had to go into the grave for three days. He had to, remember, before the resurrection, he was deserted, except for John, who took care of his mother. Biblically sound doctrine will protect you from being led by any whim and every, every whim and, 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 and so-called feel-good stuff that leads you down the wrong path to destruction. You got to remember this. The only apostle to die of old age was John. But his life was no bed of ease. He was bored and old, and he was banished to the Isle of Patmos, but while he was on Patmos, he received the revelation of Jesus Christ. Amen. So I said that to say this. As a believer, you are going to go through some stuff. But as a believer, you need to know how to stand against that stuff. And biblically sound teaching will give you the parameter or the guidelines you need, the positions or instructions on how to go through it, and protection against the doctrines of men, deceptive trends, and doctors, doctrines of devils. Before Jesus could ascend into heaven and send the Holy Spirit, he had to prepare them for the transfer of power and authority. So those 40 days, Jesus taught them sound biblical doctrine which gave them the apostles' doctrine, which is a foundation pillar in the church so that we won't be looking like the world when the storms of life come. And we won't act like the world because some party says we should. Amen? Jesus taught. Jesus did. He showed them, and he taught them the apostles' doctrine as a foundation pillar. And the church needs to do the same. Follow his example by using the word. If the living word used the written word to give them the word, stands the reason that the church who believes in the living word based on what the written word said should, show, should be living this word. Amen? Amen. So let's get back to the word. Amen. Amen.
Amen. We're going to have, stand to your feet. Stand to your feet as we go before the throne. And as we pray about this foundation that we just received. This foundational word. Father, in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. I pray that your word would penetrate us, Lord God. Ah, that we would be spiritually stable in a world that's unstable. In fact, the earth is, is in, in birth, is having birth pangs. So, Father, we want to be stable spiritually in this world, that we have the steadiest hands in the room, that even though there's death and everything that's going on around us, we as believers have a firm foundation to stand on through biblically sound teaching. So, Father, forgive me, forgive us for taking you for granted and your word. Forgive us for picking and choosing what was good for us, but spitting out what was bad, Lord God. Not adhering to correction, not doing what you rebuked us for in the name of Jesus. So, Father, no longer will we be that way in this church. We are here to transform believers into disciples. And in the name of Jesus, we humble ourselves right now, God. Forgive us, Lord. When we got off course, forgive us, Lord. When we said things that were unbecoming, forgive us, Lord. For attitudes that we had that, was that, that were not Christ-like. Forgive us, Lord, for our thoughts. In the name of Jesus, we humble ourselves. And your word said you would heal our land as we humble ourselves and turn from our sin. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.